Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over a hundred different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. In today's podcast episode, I get to interview one of my really good friends, Kristen Nash, about her journey into motherhood. This isn't your typical journey. We talk about her road of infertility, how she managed it, how she practiced self-care and practiced staying centered amid the chaos of infertility. And we get to hear about the lessons she's learned, how she is integrating these lessons into her life as a mom of two beautiful children under the age of three. A little bit more about Kristen is she is also the co-founder of Havium, a Seattle-based company that helps people invest in real estate with data-driven concierge-style platform. She also has 10-plus years of background as a professional dancer and choreographer, as well as a Pilates instructor and holistic nutritionist. Kristen and I used to teach Pilates together, and I got to learn so much from her about movement, about being your body. I also got to be a witness experiencing Kristen battling this journey of infertility and being a friend to her on the outside of a friend having a really hard time. And I think her story is a really beautiful story and also one that teaches us all, whether you're a mother or not, or want to be a mother or not, about life lessons and our choices. So settle in and enjoy. Welcome to the Centered in the City podcast, Kristen. Thanks, Wade. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited. And what does it mean to be centered? As you know, I'm a mom of two now and two kids under three, and I run a business. So there's a lot going on. And I think for me, just being in a sense of going with the flow generally in my life and being able to roll with imperfections. Like stuff's going to go wrong and stuff's not going to be perfect. And being able to be in the moment with that and be okay with it. Like, for example, my toddler, the other day we were in line at the checkout at the grocery store and she freaked out because the cashier had to, you know, swipe her Lara bar across the, (laughs) the belt before she could have it. And of course there was a meltdown in the middle of the grocery store and even though she's a good kid and she's usually well-behaved, I could have, you know, reacted in that moment and been really embarrassed by it. But it's like stuff happens. She's two. It's, it's going to happen. And I think if I can just be in the moment and roll with it, it's helpful in that 
I think in general, having that mindset for everything helps keep me centered. Mm, I love that. And I emphasizing the letting go of perfectionism, right? And just yeah, rolling with the sure. flow, I think is, is huge, whether you're a mother, whether you're not a mother, whether you're, yeah. you know, in a relationship or running a business or, you know, just doing work every yeah. day. Like stuff's to- going to go wrong. It just does for everybody. And you have to kind of be okay with it. Tell us a little bit about when did you know you wanted to be a mom? That's a really good question. I feel like I was that little girl who played with dolls. Like, you know, I was that little girl who was always in a mothering sense. But then I sort of went through a phase in my teens and early 20s where I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure if I want to be a mom. I could go either way. And then when I met my husband, which was, I was like, I guess I was like 25, 26. I was like, yes, I want kids. Like as soon as I met him, I was like, I want kids with this man. Mm. And it was pretty immediate. Um, And then I was like kind of obsessed with it actually. (laughs) So I really was excited about the idea of being a mom and having a family. What was your vision of motherhood when you were in your 20s versus, or maybe like early 20s, maybe prior to meeting your husband and then maybe in your early 30s before you became a mom? Right. I think it's interesting because when you're in your early 20s, you're in a phase of you're out of college and you're building yourself and your career and everything's really focused on the self. So it's hard to picture sometimes what that's going to look like and how it's going to fit into everything. Because there were so many things I was interested in. Like at that time, I was a professional dancer. I was teaching Pilates and I was um, working as a nutritionist with my Pilates clients. And there was just so much to think about and so much to learn that I was really just engrossed in all of that stuff. And it was hard to picture how children would fit in. But then later you sort of evolve and those things become such a part of you that you have space. There's Mm -hmm. a little more room, I think, for something else to come in. And for me, I was excited about bringing kids into that mix in my life. Tell us about your journey to motherhood, because you have obviously a very interesting story. And it's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the podcast. I'd love to hear it. And then I'll probably ask follow-up questions in between. Yeah, for sure. And you were with me through most of this journey because we've been friends for a good six years now. So you've kind of been there. Um, So yeah, so my husband and I had been together for about six years when we got married. And as I said, I was excited about the the idea of having kids um, from the moment we met. So I had been thinking about it for about six years. And we decided that when we got married, we would start trying right away. Um, And I think I took for granted um, that having kids and getting pregnant would just be easy. Like I was a very healthy person. I was a Pilates instructor, nutritionist. I knew all the things to do. I had actually even studied nutrition for fertility. Like I really knew what I was supposed to be doing in order to prime my body um, for that phase. And I was 33 at the time. And I just really didn't think it would be an issue. I didn't know a lot of people who had problems getting pregnant, and I thought it would just happen. Um, And we tried for about five months, and I got pregnant. And it was really exciting because I was like, oh, that that felt like a long time, five months to me at that time. 
Um, so super excited. We told our families at Christmas, we gave them little gifts. And you, you know, told to them pretty them. early on. You were we pre- did. We told them when we were about eight weeks pregnant. Um, and I, and I and, say early on as in yeah. quote unquote, you know, what right. societal standard is to wait, you know. For sure. We were just so excited about it. Um, and then about a week after Christmas, um, I started to miscarry. And it was devastating. Like, it, I just didn't expect it to happen. I just expected that, oh, I got pregnant. We're just going to sail through this. It's going to be great. And it just totally rocked me. Mm. And I went through the miscarriage. It was really hard. And I wanted to get pregnant again right away. I know some people don't after they miscarry. They want to take a little time. But for me, I was like, I just want to be pregnant again. Tell us a little bit yeah. more about what you noticed rocked you so hard if you can describe that because I'm sure for women who have experienced miscarriage before they can Mm -hmm. relate right away but for for other women who have never experienced that well I think especially when you're trying to get pregnant when you see the positive test you're already planning the whole thing in your Mm -hmm. head right away like you're connected to that child to be and you're thinking about it 24-7, like you're planning, you're excited, you're wondering if it's going to be a boy or a girl, you know, like you're picturing your life. So that was all kind of happening for a good five, six weeks. That's a long time, actually, you know, to be like in that mode. And then all of a sudden, it's just ripped away from you mm-hmm. and it's all gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just want it back. So this like future vision and planning and potential human being, right, that you get to meet one day just disappears. Totally. And the fact that we had told our families, we had told some of our friends, you know, like they were all excited. And then it's like, okay, how do I, how do I tell them that this isn't happening? And I feel like you've let other people down too. This was going to be the first grandchild on my side of the family. Um, You know, it's just, it's hard. Mm. So I went through that process. And, um, I just, I, like I said, I wanted to be pregnant again as soon as possible. Um, so it is safe to start trying right away. There's some misconception about that out there. Some people think you're supposed to wait three months or six months or whatever it is. Um, the science says that it's completely safe to start trying right away. So that's what we did. And at that point we were just trying and trying and trying and trying. And it was over a year of this sort of vicious cycle when you're in that phase of trying to conceive it's the excitement of okay what am I going to do this month to to really like help my chances and you know I read a million books I'm kind of a little bit type a when it comes to stuff like that so I read all the books about you know the supplements you should be taking and and the lifestyle changes you should make and all of these things how to track your cycle for optimal you know fertility and I did it all. I probably everything that your cousin's sister-in-law tried that was a miracle for her, I tried it all. If it was blogged about, I tried it. <laughs> um, so, and, and nothing worked for me. So I was in this vicious cycle of, you know, at the end of the month when you get your period, you're just devastated again and you're kind of super sad for a few days. And then you get excited again. Okay, I've got another chance this month. What am I going to do to try to optimize it? And then it's the ovulation time of your month where, you know, you're trying and you're excited about that. 
And then you have that two week wait after your ovulation where you're like, did it work? constantly questioning and Mm. looking at every symptom you have like oh I think I feel a little something maybe maybe this is it and then only to get your period again at the end of the month what Um, was your just to slow down that process because there's so many kind of juicy questions to in there what was your relationship to your body during that process of you know is it sticking is it working yeah well, it's interesting for me, having been a dancer and been in the fitness world, um, I feel very connected to my body. That's something that's always been true for me. So I felt very confident that I knew what was going on with my body. And, you know, certain months I was sure that it had worked. I just felt different and I was sure that it had worked this time. Um, and it was just continuous disappointment. And I felt kind of abandoned by my body. Mm. Like I felt like, maybe I don't know my body as well. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing at all. Mm. Maybe all these things I'm trying are, are just wrong and I'm doing all the wrong things. And then it became like certain months it would be like, okay, maybe I'm just going to relax this month and not try anything and stop doing. And then I would try that. But the relaxing became a do, a doing, Mm. (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah. Tell us more about that. I think that was actually advice you had given me and, and, you came from a place, I want to just mention that you came from a place of being really open and listening and warm about working with me through this. Um, Sometimes when you're talking to someone who doesn't have kids, when you're in that and they give you advice, it's really just annoying. Mm -hmm. But the advice you gave me was actually helpful in a weird way. And you were just like, I think you might be in a doing mentality and you're just doing and doing and doing what if there's a, you bring in a little bit more of a surrender mentality mm-hmm. and just sort of relax and see, and, and it's just an experiment. Like you can just see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I tried that too, but it was hard for me to separate myself from, okay, this month I'm relaxing. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, totally. And hard. to surrender to something that yeah. you really want is so fucking hard. It's a really, the really practice. hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're used to in your life, like I want this degree. I want this career. I want this milestone in my career. You do things. You, you're in an action mode to get those things done. That's what you're used to doing. Um, so when you want something, you think that's what you're supposed to do. Um, so anyway, and so that's I was very that's, Western. Let me just emphasize yeah, like that's very yeah, like Western sure. culture, culturally ingrained, like that we are in the doing all the time. Yep. And that is what makes us successful or progress versus right. just how we are, how we show up as human beings in this world. Please continue. Yeah, no, I think that's, it's great to notice that and like compare, compare that not everybody in the world does it this way. So anyway, so we were in that trying phase for over a year and a half. And I was really open about it with friends and family, which I think was really helpful for me. Um, If anybody goes through this, I think, talk about it. Like, you know, when people at a party would say like, oh, you guys have been married for a while, maybe like soon. And you know, I would just be really open with them about that. I would just say, yeah, you know, we've been trying for a while and we're working on it. Because um, those kinds of questions can be also be a little triggering mm-hmm. for people. 
Um, so I, I just wanted to gently teach people that maybe don't ask that, mm. you know, in like a, don't in assume, a you know, what's yeah. going on behind yeah. closed doors. Yeah, exactly. Um, so at a certain point, um, I, it was really hard for me to surrender to the fact that I think I, I thought I needed help. Mm. Um, because I was so naturally health minded. I didn't want scientific technological intervention. I just really wanted to avoid that if I could. But it got to the point where I was like, okay, I can't go through this cycle anymore. I'm so sad and devastated at the end of each month. I can't live my life like this. In the end, what I want is a family. I'll do whatever it takes to get that. So I decided to see a reproductive endocrinologist. And actually the first one I saw was recommended to me by several people. Um, they all said she was great. And when I saw her, it wasn't a fit. Um, there were just a few things about her. I had been doing acupuncture and she, I mentioned that to her and she kind of brushed it off and said, oh, well, that doesn't do anything. You know, that's not helpful for fertility. And it, that may be true from a scientific standpoint, but the way she said it rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and she, she said, well, let's jump right into IVF. Let's just go for it. And I wasn't ready for that at that point. I needed a little bit of a handholding and a slower mm -hmm. introduction into all this stuff. So it, it just felt like a lot. So I ended up seeing somebody else. Um, and I felt much more comfortable with the second doctor that I saw. Um, she was listening to me and she felt like it felt like she was able to work with me with how I wanted to do it. Mm. Which um, I just so want to yeah. Yeah, emphasize how important that is to yes. feel comfortable with your practitioner. Yeah. And that you have a choice. Like sometimes mm -hmm. I know that the medical world can be so daunting yep. to navigate, to find doctors, to make appointments, to wait, all that stuff. But yeah. it to find somebody that you feel comfortable with and that you feel like is speaking your language and that you can co-create a plan that you feel good about is so mm -hmm. huge. So that's awesome that you listened to your gut there. Yeah, for sure. I just didn't, I just knew it wasn't the right fit and there were other options out there. So why not explore those? Um, so we went through the process of, you know, the testing and my testing was pretty inconclusive. I was kind of like right on the line of maybe having um, lower ovarian reserve. And I was to, just to give it context, I was 33 at the time. Um, but it wasn't anything that was diagnosable. So they diagnosed me as unexplained infertility, mm -hmm. which is a lot of people who go through this are unexplained. Um, so we decided to try IUI, which is just essentially, I guess we'll call it the turkey baster method, which is what <laughs> they do. Um, so we did that. And I thought that would work. I was like, yeah, this will work. Like, this is all we need. We just need this little boost and it'll work. And we did it twice and it didn't work. And tell um, us a little bit about what the turkey baster method is. It's, I mean, it's pretty non-invasive. Basically, you go in with your partner and your partner produces a sample. They, um, they do something to the sample. They like wash it and sort it so that they're like getting the best. The strongest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they time it with your ovulation. So you come in on the day that you're ovulating and they're testing you ultrasounds, blood draws to make sure that they're getting the right timing. You go in and they just put it in. Mm -hmm. It's very simple. There's no shots, none of that involved. Um, 
and you see what happens. So basically they're getting it closer. They're putting the sperm right into your uterus. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have to travel. It's getting right to the spot that it needs to go. Um, so we did it twice and it didn't work. And that was really hard because they're relatively expensive. They're not nearly as expensive as IVF, but you know, it's, it's some money. So if you're going to be doing it six, seven times, you're going to be shelling out a lot of, a, a lot of money. Um, so at that point we were like, okay, let's just do this. Let's bring out the big guns and try IVF. Um, and I was really lucky that it worked for me the first time. It was a really hard process to go through as anyone who's gone through it knows. Um, Tell us what's really challenging about it. Um, so obviously there are hormone shots. When you get that box in the mail of your medications, it comes in the mail and it's a big giant box. You open it up and there's all these needles and, you know, things in there and vials and it's pretty overwhelming when you first open that box. Um, you're like, all this stuff is going to go into me. Mm. And especially being a really like a little hippie, crunchy, organic minded, I'm like, oh, what is this stuff? Why, what am I doing to myself? Um, but again, I was so ready at that point And I was, it was a lot of, a lot about surrender. Like I just had to surrender to it and be like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to mm. do it. And it actually felt better once I was in that phase. Cause I was like, all right, we're, we're getting there. We're getting closer. I could mm. feel it. Um, and we did, what, we went through that whole month. Can I slow that down for a moment? Yeah. Cause yeah. what about when you notice you were in surrender? Yeah. It sounds like finally we're able to feel yeah. it. What did, it was a big you, shift. Tell me, tell us a little bit about what that shift was and how you felt you were in that state. I felt like I wasn't alone anymore. Like I, I had surrendered to asking for help and now I had a team of people who were helping me Mm. and I wasn't by myself I wasn't you know researching every blog out there to see what somebody had done to help them get pregnant what the miracle was for them none of those miracles worked for me and now I was you know I had I had people who were with me Mm. and asking for help is hard you feel like you should be able to do it by yourself and sometimes you can't. Mm, yeah. Especially when it sounds like, you know, you had such a strong relationship with your body of mm-hmm. your body so fully capable of doing anything you want it to. Yeah. It's interesting because I did a few years ago, a meditation with one of my coaches at the time and a message that came out of that meditation was for me to surrender. And this showed yeah. up in my around kind of working through some things with my business. And I was like, what do you mean surrender? I was like, I'm a like cancer survivor. I don't surrender. To me, the word surrender meant the sense of like giving up. It meant this thing of um, like not doing, not like how can I surrender? That means I'm not a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to absorb those words of surrender. And once I was able to, it was like, oh, I can trust the universe and trust the process. And And it's one of the biggest reasons why looking back on even the, even though the whole process was years of pain, I'm actually grateful for it. And I wouldn't change it looking back on it. That's so, if you're, if you're in it right now, I know that's like probably hard to hear. Um, but 
at this point in my life, I have two kids and looking back on it, I really wouldn't change it because I learned that lesson of surrender and you need that to be a parent. Mm. I'm a parent of a toddler right now. And it's just like, you know, she's crazy and she's doing things that feel really dangerous. And I would typically just be like constantly worried and constantly anxious, but that feeling of surrendering, even in this time in my life, I can draw from that experience and say, she's going to be okay. I'm just going to let her be wild and let her do her thing. And kids are resilient and she's going to be okay. Mm. And I'm going to let her be whoever she is. I'm not going to try to mold her and try to make her who I want her to be. Mm. I can surrender and know that she's going to be who she is and she's going to be great. Mm. And I don't think I would have known that had I not learned that hard lesson. It sounds like the road of IVF and that teaching you surrender is really helping you in this role as a mother. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about the rest of your process. You did IVF. It worked the first time. Mm -hmm. How was your mental state, emotional state as you were then going through pregnancy? Because you had been pregnant before. And it's different. Yeah, it's very different when you've gone through something like this. And I also just want to say IVF doesn't work for everybody the first time. And there are challenges along the becoming a parent journey for everyone, whether that's in the trying to conceive phase, whether that's a hard pregnancy, you know, with a lot of scary side effects, whether that's a traumatic birth experience or a postpartum experience that poses a lot of challenges. There's so many areas in the process that could be challenging. So I don't want to negate anybody's experience because making a family is hard, Mm -hmm. no matter which way you cut it. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, I was really lucky to have it work the first time. But going through that pregnancy, it's hard. You don't want to connect to that little being like you did Mm -hmm. the first time. You're really scared that it's going to happen again. Um, and you're going through that pregnancy, like, should I tell people, should I, you know, should I be excited about this? And you don't really get to be excited. Mm -hmm. You kind of have lost that. It doesn't feel fair, but yeah, you don't have that same connection, but then it gets better. You know, like you, once you get past that 12 week mark and for me, like when I saw the heartbeat, which is right around. I want to say right around 12 weeks when you first see the heartbeat on ultrasound, I sort of like let go. And I was like, Oh, I can breathe again. I haven't taken a breath in three years. I didn't, I hadn't felt like myself Mm. in a few years really. So, and then at that point I was like, okay, I'm ready to get myself back. Like this is happening. I feel good about this. And then with every milestone in the pregnancy, I just felt better and better. Did you get yourself back? I felt like a lot of it was a dramatic, like in the moment situation for me. Like when I heard that heartbeat, it really was, it really did feel very sudden and dramatic. Like, whoo, okay, we're back. Hmm. But then it did take a little building too. Like I had to like be like, who am I? Like, what did I like to do? Like, and you know me, like we're friends and you know that I'm pretty like happy, joyful. Mm Mm-hmm content person. Easy going. Mm-hmm. Easy going. Yeah. But I wasn't that way for a couple years. Like I, that wasn't me for a couple years. 
So I had to get her back. You know, I had to be like, okay, that's how I was. I can be like that again. Like, And how did you cultivate that and connect to that sense of joy and easygoingness? It It helps just like connecting with people and reflecting on what I went through. Mm-hmm. Again, talking about it, like being open about it and not hiding it when I would get into conversations, even with like a random person at the dog park. Like if it, if something about like having kids came up, like I would just mention it. And if it, I would open the door, if they wanted to talk about it, you never know who's going through something. And I think the more people are talking about this at that time, it was, I guess it was 2016, 17. No one was talking about it really like people weren't sharing on social media oh I had a miscarriage that wasn't happening and it's changed I feel like in the past couple years I'm seeing that more and more Mm -hmm. um, which I love like Mm -hmm. I'm happy that people are being vulnerable and opening up and talking about it because it's just helpful for everybody Mm -hmm. like it I think it's going to help people not be where I was at 33 being like oh getting pregnant's easy I'm just gonna try and it'll happen Mm -hmm. it might not like Mm-hmm. You've got to be open to whatever experience life throws at you. So it sounds like connection was a huge saving mm-hmm. grace tool for you to connect mm-hmm. with people, to be vulnerable, to share your story. Mm-hmm. And also I heard like help anybody else who might be going yes. through something similar and yeah. know that you're not alone. Yeah. I mean, if I had had that more when I was going through it, it, it just every little interaction I could get with somebody who got it was amazing. Mm. Like it just helped me so much. Mm-hmm. So I want to give that to people. And it's, I think it's hard for, especially people going through it to see somebody, like I would see somebody on the street with two little kids like me right now, like a toddler and a little baby strapped to them. And I would just be like, Oh, I'm so jealous. Mm. Like, I want that. And I would be like, they probably had such an easy time and it was so easy for them, but I didn't know their story. Mm-hmm. And people don't know my story now when they see me walking down the street. We can't make assumptions, right? We can't yeah. let our monkey minds, you know, as the term is coined there. in Buddhism to just yeah. create these stories and create all of these what ifs. For sure. Tell us what other lessons you've learned from this journey. Cause then you had yeah. a second kid naturally. Yeah. So yeah. So that's the other thing that happened for me is my son, who's three months old right now, um, we, we were in the middle of the beginning of the pandemic and all the um, fertility clinics were pretty much closed down. They were doing limited service. So if we wanted to do IVF again, it wasn't on the table for us at that time. And we were ready to start trying for a second Um So our mindset was, you know what, let's just start trying naturally. It probably won't happen because like, you know, we've tried naturally so many times and it's never happened. Um, And we'll just wait and see. And if when they open up back up again, we can go and do IVF again. Um, And it happened on the first try for us the Mm -hmm. second time around, which was crazy and shocking and surprising. And it like, it rocked me in a different way because I was like, oh, I'm pregnant again. Okay. <laughs> like I wasn't expecting that to happen. Um, but it was also kind of like a redemption too. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, Oh, I can get pregnant naturally. I just did. And it like, that was cool in a different way. And again, it doesn't happen that way for everybody's story is so different. Some people get pregnant really easily the first time. 
and then have secondary infertility and just it doesn't work the second time and I was the opposite Mm -hmm. Um, but you just never know how it's going to shake out and how did getting pregnant easily the second time naturally change or maybe affect your relationship with your body so that pregnancy was harder but physically but I don't know if it was actually harder physically or if I just because I didn't go through so much pain and trials to get there I wasn't as I don't know I don't want to say like not as grateful for it but like when I was first pregnant with my daughter it was like I was sick every day yeah but I was so happy that I was You're like vomiting I You're like happy vomit oh my god I was happy vomiting I was like every time I vomited I was so psyched um because I was so grateful it had just been so long and the second time around I was like oh I don't know. I just didn't have the same experience. It was interesting. What other lessons are you taking away from this journey of motherhood thus far? Yeah. So the surrender and trust are just such huge words for me now. Those weren't really like big words for me a few years ago, but ever since I learned that lesson, they're just like have become ingrained in my life and everything I do. Um, Anything I want to happen, um, I just... I tell myself to surrender and that doesn't mean I'm not taking action and I'm not working hard to get it, but the surrender is underlying underneath all of that and trusting that things are going to work out. Um, it helps so much because it's really easy to get anxious about stuff and want stuff to happen now mm-hmm. and learning how to wait, learning how to be patient. Like it doesn't happen the second you want it and that's okay. And teaching that to my kids, I think, is really important too. And then the other huge thing is being okay with asking for help. Yes, so so true. Again, having those lessons and being a parent, like I'm just so happy I got those lessons in my life. I hadn't really been through a lot of hard stuff in my life before that. Like, I mean, a couple of things with like, you know, family and, and, and sickness and stuff like that that was hard, but nothing super dramatic that had shifted me and rocked me and changed me. And I think this for me needed to happen. It it didn't need to happen, but I wouldn't have had a, as a fulfilled experience if it didn't. And what's beautiful about that is it sounds like you were paying attention along this journey. You were listening, Mm -hmm. you were reflecting, and it sounds like you learning these lessons weren't just things that you learned you know, the years yeah. and the times that you're pregnant or the times mm-hmm. that you're trying to get pregnant, but that you're really taking them forward into being a mother and also mm-hmm. and into your life right now. Yeah. And again, like while I was going through it, which was a couple years, a couple years, as we talked about, um, that was a long time to be going through something hard and not feel like myself. And I felt like I had to nurture myself differently during that period like I was tired all the time. I didn't Mm. feel energetic and joyful at all. And I had to, I had to learn to listen to that and, and treat myself in a different way. Like maybe I needed naps. Maybe I needed to just like lay down and listen to music. And that's not something I normally have to do in my everyday life. But, you know, if you're dealing with an illness or, something traumatic going on in your life, um, something just difficult going on in your life, difficulty with a relationship or whatever it may be, your body, your physiology is actually 
operating differently and you need to nurture yourself in a different way. And that was something I learned too. That was super helpful. And just being okay with that. Like I was like, Oh my God, I'm so tired again. I have to nap today. Like at two o'clock, like I should be doing stuff, but I had to learn that my body needed it. Yeah. To let your, the needs of your body be larger than what the mind wants, which is Mm -hmm. to feel productive or motivated or get that reward dopamine of crossing shit off your list. Um, And and just to be okay with being in that phase. Cause sometimes you're not in that phase. Sometimes you're perfectly healthy and great and things are humming along and you can be productive all day. That's great, but it's not every day. mm -hmm. That's okay. And even just now, look, I noticed the last few weeks I have been so physically exhausted. I am not pregnant. I'm not trying to get (laughs) pregnant right now, but to honor my body and to honor my body's yeah. rhythm of needing to be horizontal midday in between mm-hmm. meetings and phone calls. Right. I haven't gone on as long of walks as I normally do because my body is just tired and doesn't want that. Mm-hmm. And honoring that is, yeah. is definitely huge. Right. I think we're in that push through society, exercise harder, like, you know, whatever it may be. And it's just no good. It's not sustainable. No. Are there any other self-care practices that really supported you along this journey, whether it was your first or second pregnancy? Um, I mean, it shifts, right? Like your self-care is is going to be shifting when you're trying to conceive, when you're pregnant in the postpartum period, and just listening to what those shifts are telling you, you need, you need different things at those Mm -hmm. different phases. So just like going along with your regular routine is not really going to cut it when you're going through this kind of stuff. Your body's different um, and you need to listen to what it needs. So like in the first trimester of my pregnancies, working out, I'm I'm a exerciser. Like you, you and me are cut yes. from the same cloth when it comes to that. We work out every day. Like mm-hmm. this is what we do in some shape or form, whether it just movement. be like a walk. There's movement in, involved in every day. But if you're puking and nauseous for 12 weeks when you're pregnant you're on the couch like it's hard when your mind is telling you I want to move but your body is like no um so just like getting comfortable with listening to that and being okay with that and and telling yourself this is short term like I'm gonna Mm -hmm. feel better Mm -hmm. someday temporary yeah Mm -hmm. and it's not easy but I remember learning that when I was going through chemo was noticing the different rhythms of, you know, the, the Mm -hmm. first night after chemo, I was going to feel like shit. Then the next Mm -hmm. day I had a few hours before I felt like shit. So if I wanted to move my body, that was my window. Otherwise I missed it. And I was just horizontal. And that was a huge tool to be able to listen to the body versus what the mind wants. Yeah. Because the mind is very sneaky and tricky mm-hmm. and we like to feed and strengthen, you know, right. listening to the mind over the body. Yeah. And the conventional advice for, for pregnancy in, in terms of exercise is just keep doing whatever you've been doing. And I hate that advice, actually. Mm-hmm. Being a fitness professional, it's not advice I would give anybody. Your body's actually different. Like it's mm-hmm. changing and it's different. And if you keep running or keep doing like really intense core exercises, it's actually not very good for your body through pregnancy. So 
just learning that stuff and being okay with a period of like, you know, just more gentle movement, I think is something that I want people to know about too. And you're not going to, like, if you stop running and you were a runner, it's like, it's okay. You're not going to like gain a ton of weight and never, it's okay. You're going to have time to get it back. It's coming back. It's just not right now. Mm-hmm. I love that. Just not right now, right? This is temporary, yeah. this phase. Yeah. Kristen, thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom and your lessons with us. How can the listeners find you and connect with you if they want to learn more or, you know, share their story? I would love that. As I said, I really want people, if they're going through something, to reach out to somebody. And if I'm the only person you've ever heard who's battled infertility and you're going through it, definitely reach out to me. Um, My Instagram is technically private. But um, if you send me a message or try to connect with me, I'll, I'll accept you. Um, it's My handle is Chris Natch, which is my first name and last name. So it's C-R-I-S-N-A-C-H-T. And maybe you can put it in your show notes or something so people can click on it if they want. For sure. I will link it in the show notes. Thank you so much, Wade. I'm glad I got to talk to you and work this all out and share my story. I'm so honored. Thank you for sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. We would love to hear from you, your takeaways, what you're learning, what's awakening inside of you. Feel free to share this episode with anybody else in your life who you know might be struggling with infertility or who could benefit from learning about what we talked about today. Join the conversation with Kristen and I on Instagram at OneWade and at Kristen Nash, both linked in the show notes. Until next time, stay centered.